Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The 318th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. This is the Four Corners Podcast. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I've said that, to be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. We win 54 to 53, North Carolina did it. North Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! You're on the way to Worthy, Worthy 5, the Tar Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber, front court, Carolina with foul, he takes the timeout, they're out of timeout, technical foul, technical foul on Michigan, they're out of timeout. Front court, Williams on the drive, gets it back out to head, long outside shot, short rebound, May, it's over, Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72, and how about them Tar Heels, they are the national champions. I've been the luckiest coach in the world. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national daggum champion. Carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years. And the way that we will play will be the Carolina way. My love for North Carolina, I mean, I love this school, I love these fans, and I love everything about it, and I would I would die for this school, I really would. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services, Josh and Anthony. We're back with you guys once again today, here to talk about Carolina's 85-64 win over Wake Forest last night to stay undefeated at home and undefeated in ACC play. We'll do what we always do as we recap a game. We'll take a look at the box score. You'll hear from head coach Hubert Davis. We'll give you plenty of thoughts and takeaways on the win as well. And with that, we'll go ahead and and jump right into this. Um, this was a game that we said going in was going to be tough to beat or it was going to be tough to win. I went on record saying if this was a road game, I thought Carolina would have gotten beaten uh, because I, I I still think even despite the final margin of victory, I still think Wake Forest is a really good basketball team. What a non-believer. Um, I still think they're an NCAA tournament team, um, and I still think they're a team that's going to cause problems as this ACC season moves along. And they looked that way in the first half. Um, or really the last seven and a half minutes or so of the first half because they took a one-point lead into the half. It was 34-33 Wake Forest. They ended the first half on a 20-11 run. Steve Forbes took a timeout after Carolina built a 22-14 lead, and his guys responded. Um, Damari Mansanto made two big threes right before the half to give Wake Forest a lead and some momentum. But in the second half, it wasn't a contest. Carolina outscored them um, 52-30. They had two separate uh, droughts of over three minutes without a field goal did Wake Forest. So that defense that we've seen from Carolina um, really showed up in the second half, held Wake Forest to their season low in points, and R.J. Davis put on an absolute clinic. Um, he scored a career-high 36 points. I think 25 of them came in the second half. And one of the few things that Corey Alexander got right because Corey Alexander kind of identified early on in the broadcast, this had to be a game that he took over. And this had to be a game that he was the best player on the court. And he was that in more ways than one. And by the middle part of the second half, we knew who the better team was. And Carolina earns another double-digit victory as their dominant start to conference play continues. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of the game that they played earlier in the year out in the Bahamas against Arkansas. First half, you thought, okay, it's going to be a competitive game. This is a team that can score. 
Um, you know, Wake Forest, credit to them. I mean, just just bullying their way to the basket at times on Carolina. But look, I still think Carolina defended well in the first half. Jay Williams pointed out at halftime he didn't think Carolina was defending all that well. I, I just thought Wake Forest hit tough shots. And that's the thing. Wake Forest is a good offensive team. In the second half, you saw what Carolina can do to teams in the second half, especially at home. And you saw what we're starting to see more of with Wake's defense. Because they did the same thing against NC State where they just completely fell apart defensively in the second half of the game that they played against them last week. It was pretty much a recreation of that in this game. And Carolina took advantage. Credit to them. Jumpers were not going down in the first half. And this team you pretty much took the mindset that we were saying at home. We were sitting there for about 15 minutes during halftime saying the same thing. This team just needs to get to the basket, get downhill. There were definitely some things that the referees were letting go. I thought there was a lot of contact, but hey, I, I mean, I guess when you're playing downhill like that, both teams getting to the basket, at times you're going to have to let some things go. Uh, I thought Carolina did a great job of fighting through that, though. And R.J. Davis, I mean, what more can you say about this kid, right? Like, we thought, we talked about it coming into the year. We thought there was a chance that he could take the leap that we saw from primarily a guy like Joel Berry. And... This dude is is doing exactly that. And, I mean, this season is just amazing for him. If Zach Eady was was not playing in college basketball this season, if he was already in the NBA or wherever he's ultimately going to end up, he would, uh, to me, R.J. Davis would be the player of the year hands down. He would, he would be the leader in that category. But Zach Eady is a monster. His numbers are unbelievable. And so I think, you know, R.J. is at least making a case and I got to tell you, even early in the year when he was playing really, really well, I think some of us still wondered if he would be able to actually challenge Zach Eady. A game like last night, just building off of what he's been doing, I, I, I'll be damned if he's not the biggest competitor to him at this point. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. The 36 points for RJ, um, the third most ever by a Tar Heel against Wake Forest. Bobby Lewis scored 39 in 1966. Charlie Scott, or he scored 37 in 1966. Charlie Scott scored 39 in 1970. Uh, the 36 points were the most by a Tar Heel since Bryce Johnson scored 39 against Wake Forest in 2016. And the most by a Tar Heel in the Smith Center since Tyler Hansborough scored, th- scored 39 against Clemson in 2008 um this is the 11th 8 and 0 start for carolina um well this is the 11th 8 and 0 start for carolina in conference play seventh straight conference win by double digits um as carolina is now sitting pretty at 16 and 3 and 8 and 0 in the league and um you know i think um you know last night wasn't it's not unexpected that carolina won but the the dominance that they showed in the second half, I thought, caught me by surprise. Because we we talked about going into the game, how much Wake Forest needed a win like that to really solidify themselves as an NCAA tournament team. Their, I mean, their head coach has addressed it. Um, he's, he's acknowledged that they've got to start winning the right type of games to make the tournament. Last night was one of them. Um, and, and for Carolina to... To run them out of the out of the gym the way they did in the second half, really just speaks volumes to the type of team um, Carolina has become. Um, be, because we haven't we haven't seen this in, in quite a while where they're they're routinely blowing out quality basketball teams, and that's what they've done to open up conference play here. Let's take a look at the box score. Um, it's a pretty one for Carolina. They shot 52% from the field. They were 32 of 61. Conversely, they held Wake Forest to 36% shooting. Um, Carolina was 33% from the three-point line. They were just 5 of 15, but RJ was 4 for 8. All four of those makes for him coming in the second half. All five for the team coming in the second half. Wake Forest, though, was just 3 of 20 from deep, just 15% for a team that Entered the game shooting 39% from three as a, as a collective unit. Carolina was 62, uh, 16 of 22 from the foul line, 73%. Wake Forest, 19 of 25 from the foul line um, for 76%. Eight UNC turnovers led to seven Wake points 
just six Wake turnovers, but Carolina turned those into 10 points. Rebounding margin was Carolina 43 to 30, 37 to 26 on the defensive glass, 6 to 4 on the offensive glass. Um, points in the paint, big advantage for Carolina, 48 to 30. Um, it was their the, the the thing that generated their offense all night long in the first and the second half when they attacked downhill. Good, they you know they saw good results, 15 to 1 in favor of Carolina in the fast break. And then Carolina just eight assists on their 32 made baskets, but Wake Forest just three assists on their 21 made baskets. Um, you know, you look at that points in the paint, and that's something that we we identified going in was Carolina's got to they got to play downhill, and they they need to live in the painted area. And they didn't start the game doing that. They took five three pointers before their first media timeout. And they took six, I think six of their first 12 shots were, were from three. And they weren't falling. And I think this is where this group's ability to be coached really shines through. Because they made the adjustment. And, you know, it wasn't through Armando Baycott. It was through the guards putting the ball on the floor and attacking the basket. And in the second half, it was it was non-competitive. Um, Elliot Cadeau scored 14 points in the game on seven field goals. All seven of his buckets came in the painted area, and most of them were drive-by layups. Mm -hmm. Um, You got Harrison Ingram in the second half, getting to his spot, backing down Cameron Hildreth and just turning and scoring right over him. But the guy that set the tone was the best player on the court last night, and that was R.J. Davis, who, yeah, made his four three-pointers, but he also made 10 other shots. And a lot of them were drives into the lane that were contested, there were at least three and ones that should have been called that he just didn't get the he just didn't get the whistle. Part of that was big time ACC game. Those you know the refs are going to let those let those guys play. But you know I think something that Carolina's done a really good job of this season is identifying a team's weakness and attacking it. And we 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 talked about it going in. I think Wake Forest was the second worst team in the league in terms of giving up points in the paint, and they looked that way last night because they had no answer for Carolina's dribble drive game all night long. Yeah, their guys just aren't fast enough to stay in front of these guys, especially running off misses, which you know Carolina did strategically. It's exactly what you want to see from this group. But yeah, I mean, you you saw especially as the game wore on because remember this game starts with was it three straight threes to begin the game. And I think we were all just sitting there kind of scratching our heads and saying, this is not the game plan. Now, I don't know if that was a way to try to sucker Wake Forest. I have no idea. But it's as if a light went on and all of a sudden they said, okay, now we really need to start getting to the basket. And you're right. It all started with R.J. Davis because he was attacking downhill, getting to the rim. If not, if a guy would step up, he could see, you know, whoever was down low, uh, usually Efton Reed in the paint trying to take away Armando would come over, just throw up that floater, and it was going down last night. And that's what you want to see. But Elliot Cadeau, to me, was the special part of this game because you look at the way that he was able to attack, that's, that's the strength of his game. That was the strength of his game in high school. That's how he scored points. I know he's a guy that you know was able to knock down some shots from the outside, but at the same time, it, it, when you watched him and you saw him play at his best, that was when he was at his best. Seth Trimble, same type of player, and it fed in perfectly to Carolina's group. They were able to attack the entire night. They only got to the free throw line 22 times. If remember, one of the things that I said coming in was that in Wake Forest's last three losses, teams had gotten there 30 or more times. So Carolina didn't get there nearly that many times. But when you score 48 points in the paint and the majority of that is coming from your guards, I I mean, you can't really say anything too critical about this team. And again, it's just amazing to sit back and watch this team as opposed to the teams that we've seen for Carolina for the last four or five years. Like in, in years past, if the game plan was let's come out and try to knock down outside shots and get ourselves going from out there, they would legitimately just stick with it. This team immediately realized, no, we need to attack the basket. That's what needs to happen here. And, they, I, I mean, they adjusted in the snap of a finger, and it completely changed the game. And that aggressive mindset 
I just I, I I love it so much from this group because now I, I mean it's becoming a habit that teams simply cannot stop these dudes from getting to the basket no matter how good they are defensively and that's the type of thing that you want to see especially from guards like this that are struggling a little bit overall from outside Let's transition now to the quote of the game and we've got two pieces of audio um we've got to oh, play baby. for you to uh today. One of them is from the head coach, and one of them is from Harrison Ingram about his head coach. We'll start with Hubert Davis, though. And he addressed in the postgame how happy he was for R.J. Davis to experience what he experienced last night in the Smith Center. The way that Wake was playing us defensively, um, he was able to get to that mid-range, that floater. That's a shot that he's worked on a lot throughout his career. Feels really comfortable, and he was able to hit that. And then that set up. You know his ability to be able to shoot the ball from three, and um, he was in a great rhythm tonight. He's been in a great rhythm all season. It was the first time as a player and as a coach that I can remember uh, the the Smith Center crowd chanting a player's name, and I'm just really proud of him. I, I think you know he's had a a terrific career, but I, I feel like this year he's finally getting noticed, and. I'm just really happy for him. Been watching Carolina basketball uh, a long time. Seen a lot of great players roll through the Smith Center. Not many times do you hear your name be enchanted. Um, and that's not to discredit our fans. I think it, it's more of a testament to how great of a player, how great of a person R.J. Davis is. And this fan base's appreciation of of all the kids been through, um, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not gonna hide from the fact that he is my favorite player on the team. Um, it, it's pretty oh, how dare you? It's pretty evident if you follow me on Twitter, HTV underscore Josh, by the way, that he's my favorite player. And there's no denying that even with that coming into this season, his legacy was going to be hard to define, depending on what this team accomplished accomplishes this year no matter what with all the drama off the court and the lack of success at times on the court you never question the kid's heart the kid's you know desire to help the 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 team win and now he's the face of the team that's you know a top three team in the country the 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 face of the ACC um and, and last night you could you could feel how Last night was it was important to him um, because not to say he's he's not a talker, but you know there was a couple threes where he let it be known to Wake Forest. Look, this is my this is my game. You're in my gym, um, and I thought it was just really cool to see him be appreciated that way. Um, I, I hope this season has some sort of a storybook ending to it a happy ending of some sorts, whether they win a national championship or not. Hopefully it ends with maybe a second trip to the Final Four, RJ being ACC National Player of the Year, so his legacy will be unquestioned a positive one. First team All-American. You know, when you look at just the way this fan base has embraced him, it's something that, quite frankly, we haven't seen in our lifetime as Carolina fans. Well, I, I think there's a couple of things that go into it, right? I think part of it is one great player. Um, that, that it's a guy that's been here. The other thing is the connection to these guys is just different. And believe it or not, he still has another year if he wants it to come back. But these are guys that were here through COVID. These were guys that were here through some really rough seasons for this basketball program. Here through the transition of the coaches from Roy Williams to Hubert Davis, a guy that went to a Final Four went to a national final, and then the next year with all the expectations on the line was part of a team that couldn't even make the NCAA tournament. And so coming into this year, I think everybody kind of questioned everything. The dude doesn't even land on the preseason All-ACC team. Yep. And I think it, that that is a story that Carolina fans have really gravitated towards. But more than anything, it's, it's the fact that this is the best player, and this is a guy that's that's having a special season on the best team probably since at least 2018, 2019. And I got to be honest, if you put this team on the court with them right now, especially with the depth they got, 
you could make an argument this team might be better. So, I mean, that's that's the thing. I think there's just, it's such a different connection because, yeah, Carolina's had other stretches like that, but I think this one is different. It's, you know, social media era, so people definitely get more connected to these guys because they can sort of get a peek into their lives and everything like that. I just, to me, it it is just an amazing story. It's a dude that's playing out of his mind, and it's one that I'm so happy that going into the season, we we were saying we think there's a chance that this could happen. Because I feel like there were some people that were wondering if he could really take that that leap. And I thought, and I, I say this, I will say this probably until the day I die. That team does not miss the NCAA tournament last year if he doesn't injure his finger. Because this was the type of play that you were seeing. Maybe not at this exact level, but the closing ability. And that's that's the other best part. When is the last time you can remember Carolina having a closer like this that literally just could take over games every single time that you needed him? That's what he does. Yeah, uh, you you got to look to a guy that he sits beside on the bench at times. Yeah, that's Marcus a good Page. Yeah. Um, you, you know, as a guy that could could almost will Carolina to victories and um he doesn't have to do a whole lot of willing because he's got help and they they, they defend at a high level but he's he, he's the most integral part of, of all the success uh this team has has enjoyed so far and hopes to continue to enjoy as the season moves forward the second piece of audio is going to be a little bit of fun um you know if, if, if you follow Carolina basketball closely you know that our head coach, is not a swearer. Um, he doesn't. He doesn't curse, um, and it's pretty. It's pretty impressive because um, the way they've played at times under him, I would have cursed them for all they were worth, and oh then my some. Gosh, the fact that he didn't do it last year. I mean, geez, dude. And we we tried to instill a non-cussing policy on the pod. I for one do not. But here's the thing: when is the last time that we've had one? It's been a long time. It's been a while. No, uh, you say you say one like once once an episode. That's not even close to true. Um, but keep lying. And, and That's also frowned upon. So um, you know, it's pretty much you know, it, it's just a known thing. Well, uh, last night in his post game uh, availability media uh, media availability, Harrison Ingram was was asked about some other words that Hubert Davis uses to avoid cussing and if he used some of them last night during halftime. Is there a go-to word that's almost like a cuss word? Fart. <laughs> Fart. Really? Wow. Oh, my God. It caught, caught me off guard the first time I was here. You got to use it in did, did you guys? He'll be like, what the fart are you doing? I mean, at first time, I was like, what, you, what is he talking about? Did you guys get it tonight? Uh, We got, yeah. <laughs> we got about 10 of them. And there was one during an early timeout, too. It looked like he may have. Look, I know that, I know that we're all adults here. Um... Speak for yourself. I don't know if I could handle my coach yelling at me. What the fart are you doing? I, that's, I I'm going to tell you, the towel. <laughs> excuse me, the towel would have to be over the head, right? Like I, I had towel over the head, head down. It's impossible because I, the first time, I would be absolutely dying. Yeah, it's impossible. I'd be running laps for weeks. And, and, and look, maybe now they're just accustomed to it because it's it's his word that he uses to not say the other four letter word. I mean, fricking or fracking, they work just as well, you know. So and maybe he does use those. But, well, you'd have to use frick, right? Well, I mean, it just depends on how you use it. I um, think he wants his own style though, because Roy was a fricking. Maybe a frick guy. So I think he wants his own thing. Now, I feel like, right, you got to pick a different F word. Now, not the F word, but uh, like fudge. Fart? Yeah, that, I, I feel like fart. That's another funny word. We're yeah. childish, you and, know. And maybe he thinks his guys are mature. These are college kids that are superstars on their campus, and they're making memories for that are going to last the rest of their lives. You can't I, tell me Harrison ain't cracking up at uh, that. Well, Harrison's got to be breaking. I, I'm, I'm 27 years old, and I still laugh when I do it. So let alone if I hear the word, I'm, I'm going to wow! Be, what I'm a revelation! Gonna be, I'm going to laugh at what it. What a so, revelation! You uh, are a weirdo. I am definitely going to keep this in the back of my mind. Um, hopefully, next year at ACC tip off, I get the chance to have Hubert Davis come to our table. And this, this will be brought up. If you, if you, if he walks over 
you pull out the seat for him and you say, have a farting seat, coach, I will lose my mind. I'm saying, hey, hey, how the fart are you doing? Ah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's solid. Yeah. So, um, I yeah, like that. But, yeah, the, the, this is something that, you know, I, I saw um, the Carolina Blitz, who we know her as Vashti Hurt. I, I, I saw her, like, tweet out the exchange. And this was like, this has to be audio that gets played. I played it on my, my show here today. And, of course, we're playing it here on the pod. And um, this will be something that will be addressed the next time I get a chance to interact with Hubert Davis because how could you not? Um, because if He's got to pull it out, right? If this team goes – that sounded weird. If, he's got, if this team makes it to the Final Four and he does another interview – He's got to say it's live farting action out there. Yeah, right? I mean it, it's. Yeah. I will. Oh, that would be it. And the amount of breaking T-shirts that we could get off of those would 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 be kind of fun, and we would probably all eat it up. Uh, stat of the game, a lot of different ways we could have gone here. I went. I went three point percentage. Oh, because Carolina just shot thirty three percent, but all five of their makes came in the second half. I I did not see them holding Wake to fifteen percent shooting from three. Despite Carolina holding ACC opponents to 24% three-point shooting in ACC play, this was the best three-point shooting team Carolina's played in ACC games, the best three-point shooting team you've played since Kentucky, and you made them look as bad as you made NC State and Clemson look um, at times. And I think we were all waiting for this defensive improvement to tail off. And Carolina just revert back to being a program that outscores you. Guys, this defense is for real because these kids take pride in defending at a high level. And if you want the best example of that, Elliot Cadeau's in-season improvement as an on-ball defender has been um, as big a surprise as anything has been all season long. Because the first month and a half of the season, this guy couldn't guard me. And I'm 27 bald and and fat. Slow your roll. And and last night, you know, the the Boopy Miller, Hunter Salas, those are NBA caliber guards. And they play with a very NBA style where they they know how to use their body. They know how to get you on their hip and really dictate what they're going to do with you defensively. And he was there step for step with them. Last night, and Carolina's rotations continue to be sharp. Their closeouts continue to be sharp. And, um, you know, I I think it's fair to say after eight straight or nine straight wins, the defense, it's it's for real. Um, And this is this is the best defensive team in the ACC. Yeah, I mean, it's you're hard pressed to find anybody else that's that's really playing this well. Um, I mean, statistically, I would imagine that Virginia is actually pretty good as well. But, I mean, yeah, this team, I mean, you're you're going multiple stretches of games where teams are not knocking down a field goal for three, four, five minutes at a time. And it's what's allowing you to pull away in these games. Not only is Carolina defending at a high level, but they're also scoring when they need to. You're seeing it even early in games when Carolina's not shooting the ball well out of the gate. They're defending at a high level so that they make sure that they stick around. The the in-season improvement, you're right, is simply amazing because some of these guys, yeah, I mean, Elliot Cadeau, we have pretty much just chalked it up to he's a freshman. Like, yep. freshmen don't necessarily guard at a high level outside of, you know, set Trimble. Like, freshman point guards, that's not the area they typically focus on. And his improvement, I mean, last night you mentioned it. Hunter Salas got off to a really good start to the game, by the way. And we thought, okay, this is the guy that's going to be nearly impossible to stop. Carolina adjusted. They did a great job the rest of the night. Boopy Miller, I mean, he didn't do really anything most of the night. Like, Carolina pretty much eliminated him. And he's, he's a really good player. I've watched him play in a lot of other games in conference, and he's, I mean, he is a legitimate scorer, but Carolina just did everything they had to do to take it away. The only time that they allowed anybody to get hot from beyond the arc was Monsanto. He hit two straight, and then that was pretty much it. That was the that was their threes, pretty much. The other one came earlier in the first half, but that was it. I mean, they had nothing for Carolina the rest of the way. 
So, I mean, it's just, it, it is an amazing job by this team. The way this team can switch everything, every one of these guys is just defending their tails off. And one guy that needs to be pointed out again on the defensive end, because he's getting a lot of hell for the offensive end, which I don't really understand. Do you watch Do you watch the games? Seriously. Do you actually watch the games that are on your television? Armando Baycott did not need to have an offensive presence last night. Everybody else was getting to the rim and scoring. Were they supposed to pass the ball up and say, hey, we got a golden look, but you're not having a great night. Here you go. Well, I'm, I'm like, I'm, come on. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because because Jordan Falls, even you know, who does a great job writing about the team for keeping it heel. Um, and Jordan, if you're listening to this, keep up the great work. He, like he, he put a tweet out about it this morning. And one of the things that and this is how you can tell people know basketball and they they just don't know basketball. And unfortunately, um, a third of our fan base doesn't know the game. They 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 love the team because the team wins, and they go to the Final Four and they win national championships. And you know, it's Carolina basketball. They base their opinion solely off of a box score. But they they don't they don't know the game. The amount of driving lanes that he sealed off for R.J. Davis and Elliott Cadeau last night was a big reason why they got to the rim as easily as they did. the The fact that he's still running the floor. And getting that presence at the front of the rim, you have to account for that. He's still putting pressure on the defense without without having the ball. And then Steve Forbes said it in his post game. He sets physical screens, and and and, and like guys, let's screening's a big part of the game. And when when you yeah, I'm not going to get here and get into analytics and get like screen assist and all that type of stuff. Oh, dig down. I'm, I'm, I'm not nerd. that Come type on. of geek, but. You know, setting a quality screen is something that you, uh, we, we've we've taken for granted because we haven't done it really well. It's it's why, like, if you watched Gonzaga under Mark Few the last five years, you know, Jay Billis will say, "Well, they're one of the best cutting teams in the country they're, because they're one of the best screen setting teams in the country, and, and they're doing all the tiny little things." And that's what this team does is as as gifted as they are. And, and God knows they've they've got as much talent as just about anybody in the country. They do the little things, and they 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 set good screens. They make good cuts. They they're not taking plays off. They're hunting down loose balls. And man, when Carolina plays with like that, and they've got the edge to them that this that this crew has to them because God knows Cormac Ryan and Harrison Ingram could be zero for nine, but they're still going to talk. That's that that that's when it's it's okay to strut around with a little bit of confidence as a Carolina fan. Because this isn't a program that historically has that type of edge to it. Um and they because they haven't needed it because they've had just so much, you know, t- talent that's rolled through here. They've got talent, they've they they've 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 got an edge and, and, and Armando Baycott embodies that as much as anybody. Because if you take that guy off this team, they're not 16-3, and three, they're not 8-0. Also, look at the impact that he had defensively. Do you guys not realize that he had four blocks and altered how many shots? And, and dude, the one, Come he, on, the one he chased down, Efton Reed. Oh, my gosh, he, he, dude. He, he doesn't make that play his previous four years here. That's where being in better shape, being yep. in better conditioning, having a little bit more bounce, because he had no business making that play. And, I, dude, I work with the Wake Forest guy, a guy that went to Wake. That picked Wake to win the game. He said. Uh, he said when uh, when he saw Armando make that block, he knew he knew game was over because those aren't plays that we make that we haven't made that Armando Baycott hasn't made. And so, and it speaks volumes about how good this team is, where they can win when he has an off night. Yep. He had five points and seven rebounds and beat the team that was number two in the league last night by twenty one points. So, um, you know, we we came to his defense back in December. What it comes down to is it doesn't matter how good we got it. And, man, we got it good. People are still going to complain. And I'll remind you, the last five years wasn't fun. You take out a six-week stretch in 2022, the last five years hasn't been fun. This is fun. And instead of finding something to gripe and complain about, enjoy it. Because the last five years should serve you. We're 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 not we're not guaranteed to be this every year. Mm-hmm. God knows I want to be and I expect to be, 
but it, it's it's not a guarantee that we're going to be the best team in this conference, a national title team year in year out. So and it, it, and instead of complaining about a dude that went on national TV and said he would die for you and die for this place, just enjoy the fact that he could have left when the going got tough and he was a part of the biggest failure this program's ever seen. But the guy came back because he didn't want to be remembered that way. And he's a big reason why this team is where it is right now. Let's get into some more thoughts and takeaways before we get to our discussion topic. Um, These second-half runs are starting to become a thing where the game is maybe in the balance and then Carolina goes on some sort of run. Last night was the the 11th game. They've gone on a 10-0 run or better. Um, so you're getting back to that traditional thing where Carolina's going to go on a game-changing run. And last night, it, it, it became explosive because R.J. Davis went through a stretch where he didn't miss, but they're doing it by grinding out stops defensively. And, and you held the second-best offensive team in the league to without a field goal for over five minutes. And what I what I liked about it was our crowd appreciated that effort and these and, and our guys continue to clamp down. But you go back to Clemson, 58-55, you close the game on a seven-nothing run. You go back to Boston College, it's sixty to fifty-six. You end up winning that game by double you by, by by double digits. There have been games that Carolina it hasn't been clear cut that they're gonna win the game, let alone win the game by double digits. But then they go on a run and you know they 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 put some separation between them and the opponent and you know it, it just further just can uh, shows how dominant this team can be at times. Yeah, and you know the run that you're talking about to start uh, well not start the second half. It was right about the 16:49 mark. RJ hits his his first three of the night and that really just yep. sprung everything. That he three hits, in the corner. He hits back to back threes. And that started what was an 18 to 4 run over the next 5 minutes and 4 seconds. Yep. And that made it a 59-45 game and from that point there was no response. That's what this team can do that's so different than last year. Remember we talked about it on this podcast multiple times. I think I yelled about it at one point. This team literally cannot piece together any sort of run. The longest run I think they may have had all year was like 5 5-0 run. Like they, I mean, seriously, they had n- they did not have that power a year ago, and now I mean, how many times have we seen it over and over again? You listed all those. Florida State, what about that run to get yourself back in the game and then eventually win that game, which it looked like you were not going to have a chance to do. I mean, this is just it, it is amazing. It shows how together this group is, and it shows that when they turn up the intensity, it's hard for teams to be able to compete with them. Now, the thing is, is that, yeah, against UConn, Kentucky, they weren't able to turn it on. But I feel like the more that you see them do this, and I get it, there's people that are going to say, well, the ACC, how good is the competition really in the ACC? But at the same time, it feels like when you do it over and over and over again, it's eventually going to translate once you get into the NCAA tournament. Because guess what? Have you watched the ACC the last few years? It's not exactly dominant regular season basketball, but when you get to the NCAA tournament, which conference always seems to show up during that time? The ACC. So that's, I mean, that's that's how I look at it. I think Carolina just doing this over and over again and being able to prove to yourself that you have this ability to run away from teams, it's only going to benefit this team in the long run. Yep, and you know, I think they're the, the, it's something that it's becoming part of their identity. And teams will the fear's too strong of a word. They'll be concerned about it, and that's why I, I wasn't worried going into the half down a point. Had we been down seven eight, might have been somewhat concerned. But you're down a point when you didn't make a perimeter shot, you missed three free throws, and Wake Forest knew it too. Like they knew there wasn't enough separation because they know that run is coming. And you know, not not that the the Smith Center is always the the hardest place to go into and play, that crowd was there last night. And once RJ hit that first three, that place got rocking. Um, and and if it, it fueled a run, that that really changed the game. Um, going the rest of the way, we've we've talked about the defense. I just you know hold that offense to sixty four points. 
to 36% shooting from the field and 15% from three. Just really shows you where where this group is at defensively. I I I thought I thought Elliot Cadeau and Seth Trimble, the way that they just guarded was the as as well as they've guarded individually all year long. Um and they made Boopy Miller, they made Hunter Salas, they made them work and earn every single bucket that they got. Um and and nothing came easy. And Wake Forest hasn't been able to say that too many times this year. Usually when they've gotten beaten, it's because they 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 weren't getting stops. Part of the case last night cuz you, you didn't give up, you didn't get stops, you gave up 52 second half points. But I thought offensively they got worn down. We we were out physical them and that also showed up on the glass. Where Carolina won the rebounding margin again, 43 to 30. Um and Harrison Ingram had 14 rebounds. All on the defensive class. Not a single one of them was an offensive rebound, by the way. And I I can't believe I am saying this after where I was after the Kentucky game. Here we go. I love watching this team rebound the ball. Oh, man. Because there is there there's something fun about watching a smaller team scrap. And there's something fun about watching Harrison Ingram, who, I mean, is still a, a physical specimen at 6'8", just, just dominate guys on the glass. There's no wonder he has to change his uniform at halftime because he's sweating so much because of how hard he's working to get in position to get rebounds. Kind of like me on this podcast, but carrying the show. You know, the thing is, <laughs> is that, you know, he... How many times have we t- we talked about them winning rebounding margins and Baycott's a not your leading rebounder and b not even getting into double digits? He gave you seven, and then Jalen Withers gave you seven off the bench, all defensive as well. Yeah, you know, and and and, and Hubert talks about this, and, and I've echoed this. The we, it's got to be UNC rebounding games. It's got to be a team effort on the glass, and man, they've really morphed into that. Um, you know, maybe to get where you want to get to, maybe you're going to need Armando Baycott to give you 14, 16 rebounds against the likes of Duke when you get into the tournament and you're playing some top uh, echelon teams. But outside of that, man, I, I'm good. I trust them because there's just a commitment in that area that it wasn't that, that wasn't there at the beginning of the year, just thought they weren't good enough and – um, you know, I said going into the game last night that whichever team rebounded the ball better would control the pace better. There was a clear advantage for Carolina on the board from a stat standpoint, and boy, did it show up in a big way on the actual hardwood. Well, you look, here's the thing. Go back again, tail of two halves. First half, Carolina plus one on the glass. Second half, Carolina plus 12. And you said it's a team rebounding game. Harrison Ingram, eight rebounds in the second half. Armando Baycott, four rebounds, second half. RJ, three. Elliot Cadell, three. Like, you're getting contributions from everybody. And Wake Forest, when they needed to get some sort of momentum, an offensive rebound that could change the game, give them a second opportunity because their offense wasn't thriving. Carolina said, yeah, I don't think so. And this is... I. I I don't know if with this, with on the defensive end of the floor, was it just that they needed to see themselves do it? And once they saw, hey, we can actually defend at a pretty fart and high level. There you go. I was wanting to work that in. Uh, or that we can rebound at, at this high of a level. I mean, since then... We just haven't seen it change. Remember after that Oklahoma game, I said defensively, this is like the student that has been getting Fs the entire way, and all of a sudden he brings home a B, and you realize, oh, this kid's capable of something. This is, I mean, and I said, you have to step up and prove now that this is who you are. Well, I'll be damned if this is not who this team is, man. They have completely flipped the narrative in both of those areas. And now, I mean, look, defensively, like, that was not a signature of the Roy Williams era. But, 
I mean, they're as good of a defensive team as just about anybody in the country. Statistics prove that. And, I mean, rebounding-wise, this this looks like an old-school Roy Williams team. Like, you got a guy in Harrison Ingram. I mean, how many straight games does he have double-figure rebounds? I think it's four. I mean, it's just, it's completely different. And he looks like a dominant rebounding big when he's got the build of a wing player. So, I mean, it's just, it's remarkable. And this team, just when we thought to ourselves, early in the year we said it, we're, we're having fun watching this team. But we need them to get better defensively, and we need them to get better rebounding-wise. We didn't think it could get much more fun. Ooh, man, it has. It has been amazing. It's 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 been a blast, and the biggest reason, or the or one of the biggest reasons why it's been a blast has been the play of R.J. Davis. And look, there's still 12 ACC games to go. You got about a month and a half left of conference play, and Carolina still has to play their two biggest games of the season. Of course, the two games with Duke. It may be fair to say. He wrapped up the ACC Player of the Year award with what he did last night. More importantly, he may have legitimately thrown his name in the hat to be the National Player of the Year. And I, until last night, I didn't think it was possible um, because I, I think Zach Eadie's the best player in college basketball. He's the most dominant player in college basketball, and he's on a team that's going to win the Big Ten. They're going to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, and they're going to be a trendy pick to make the Final Four, despite never making the Final Four under under Matt Painter. Oh, you'll pick him. You'll pick him again. You're oh, most, most You're defi- believing. Most oh. definitely I will. Oh, God. But after what he did last night, scoring 36 on that stage in a big marquee game, there's, there's no way to hide it that – he would be a first-team All-American if the season ended today. And I think as we go down the stretch here, we'll be comparing what he's doing to to Zach Eady because those are the two best players right now in college basketball. And there's a legitimate shot for Carolina to have their first national player of the year since Tyler Hansborough. Yeah, I mean, look, every the talk the last two years has been Armando Baycott, man. And, I mean, even us, I think even to, to us to a certain extent, we thought that he was the best player on this team. Even coming into this year, we said, look, he's probably your best player. RJ's close, and he's the guy that you need down the stretch of games, but Armando's your best player. That's no longer the case. And that's nothing against Armando. That is how good this dude is playing. I've said it. I don't see how this dude does not get a look in the NBA because the way that he shoots the ball, the quick release, just, I, I mean, the, the way that he can pick his spots and get to him, this dude is a freaking monster. And, I mean, it is unbelievable to watch him. And, I mean, look, he's he's up there with some of the most entertaining guards that we've seen at Carolina. Like, this, I know, we're, I'm not doing it right now because this – this could go down a whole path. We can do a whole podcast. At the end of the season, we will have to talk about where he ranks amongst point guards all-time at Carolina in terms of, you know, the entertainment value to watch. But, I, I mean, look, he's way up there, man, because every time you you watch him play, I mean, you expect it. We, we knew last night the shot wasn't falling from the outside, and I said to myself, start driving to the lane, because that shot will open up. It'll be there in the second half. Because this is what you've been doing for about a year straight now. Going back to last year in conference play. And sure enough, that second half, he started lighting it up from deep. And that's the area where if he's going to win this award, that's the area where he's going to be able to make his argument. Is that, yes, Zach Eady may be the best player in college basketball, Frankly, he has to be. There are some good players on that Purdue team, but it's not nearly as loaded scoring-wise as Carolina is. He's a guy, though, that can take over a game when Carolina needs him to. Edie Edie can take over a game, but down the stretch of a game, nobody can take over a game the way that R.J. Davis is doing right now. And yeah, I think the conversation is there to be had, but I mean, look, even if he doesn't win that award... If he's a first-team All-American, if he's the ACC Player of the Year, and as you said, if he can get back to the Final Four 
and I'm greedy. This this is he's getting to the point of Marcus Page and Bryce Jones. Oh no, I definitely want. I want that title so bad for this. I kid. would I would sacrifice a limb a, a limb for him to be a national what champion. Limb? Both. I would go right arm because I'm left handed. I give up my left arm because I'm right handed and okay, and my left leg because my left leg doesn't. Oh my feel. god, you just have to give up one. You're I'd going give up, double. I'd give up both. Oh man, but yeah, I mean it's, I mean it's so fun. It's so fun to be to have a guy that is this special that all of college basketball now is starting to wake up and realize is really that good. Yeah, I mean he's averaging 21 points per game, 3.7 boards, 3.4 assists, shooting 45 percent from the field, 42 percent from three. 94% from the foul line. Those are National Player of the Year award type of numbers. Um, and I think it's going to be a fun battle between him and Edie down the stretch. Um, what might give Edie the upper hand is the Big Ten's better. It's deeper. He'll have a few more marquee games. But if RJ puts together big-time performances against Duke or you know in both Duke games – maybe leads him to an ACC tournament, a number one overall seed, it'll be hard not to give the point guard at North Carolina the National Player of the Year award if he continues to play and play at this level. We do have a, a closing note before we do get out. It was announced today that both of Carolina's commits in their next recruiting class, Ian Jackson and Drake Powell, um, will be selected to the McDonald's All-American game. And this is pretty significant because that's the first time in three years that Carolina will have a McDonald's All-American um, entering uh, the program. Um, and, and just given how Carolina is going to be losing guys like Armando Baycott, Cormac Ryan for sure, we don't know about R.J. Davis, we don't know about Harrison Ingram, you're going to need to have a nice influx of talent from the high school and the transfer portal ranks. And it does look like that Huber Davis has that in the in the mold of Ian Jackson and Drake Powell. It is their two five stars, by the way. They do still have James Brown, the center that is committed, but he is uh, ranked outside of the top 100. But he's still, he's still there. With that, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. Guys, before we let you go, we do encourage you to visit the website, HeelToughBlog.com. Go back, read about the win. Overwake Forest, I'll be back later in the week getting you ready for Carolina's road game at Florida State as I continue to take you through the basketball season. Anthony has an article up about Ian Jackson and Drake Powell heading to the McDonald's All-American game. Any news that comes out of the football side, we get the schedule this week. Anthony will break that down for you. So make sure you're staying locked in. Um, TheHeelToughBlog.com for your latest Carolina basketball, Tar Heel football news and notes. As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform. Just simply search the Four Corners Podcast, and we will pop up. We're there. We do encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. That way you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the basketball season. Well, with that, guys, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. Do want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. It just doesn't get any sweeter than that.